Welcome to the Floyd's Rising podcast. We talk about NFTs. I'm Sabertooth. With me is Kizu. So today's topic is really about another artist that has been very active and generating a lot of attention for his art on a different platform. And that artist is John Carroll. He has basically been the hot new property on the block. I think his uh, artistic style is, is one of the things, obviously. But I think a lot of attention has also been paid to the platform that he's active on, which is uh, Hick et Nunc, <laughs> which is Latin for here and now, Hick, Hick et Nunc, which has been abbreviated to H-E-N or HEN, and specifically the blockchain and the token yeah. that it's, being, uh, it's active on is Tezos. Tesla's is one of those OG layer one blockchains. They did their ICO, you know, ancient, like six years ago to 2015, I believe, raised around $500 million. And basically since then, no one's heard a peep about basically anything happening there. Most people had kind of written them off. And lo and behold, in sort of Feb, March of this year, 2021, this sort of platform hit at Nunc just comes roaring on the scene basically out of nowhere and as of today a lot of people say that it's sort of up there with OpenSea as the largest nft platform in the world essentially and a very unlikely story to come out of tesos no one knows exactly you know how and why it became you know so popular but the topic for today's conversation john carroll I think personally is somewhat responsible for that popularity. I mean, he was quite early on the platform. I think that there's a bit of a deja vu element. I think in in Carol's work. That's not to say that you know Beeple's work isn't derivative or doesn't have references to you know early two thousands, twenty tens internet culture, which it does. Obviously, I think that's very uh, much foregrounded, and I think it's a big part of. The way that it's resonated with particularly the slightly younger, you know, Gen YZ demographic. And I think there's something similar in John Carroll, except that I think that the kind of time frame that's referenced is a little bit earlier. Specifically, if, if people is more like a 2010s meme-based kind of aesthetic, I think Carol's is about 10 years prior to that. I think there's a there's an early 2000s Y2K kind of like retro computer graphics, very strong style to that. Obviously, a lot of the, the works are animated kind of GIF-like things. There's obviously some similarities with people, but there's a little bit more of a hearkening back retro element. Specifically, I would say, and I think that he's mentioned this in interviews, he's, he's very cognizant of these references and specifically this time frame. At the same time, he does seem to be very aware of pop artists that have you know, dealt with similar material, specifically pop art from the 60s, like Warhol, Oldenburg. I think the color palette is pop. It translates well on the screen, the more uh, vital elements. I think with any NFTs, it's obviously a visual medium. Specifically, it performs well on a screen as opposed to obviously like a canvas. So there's a flatness to it. Perspective-wise, it's quite flat. And it's pixelated, all of those things identify it as a kind of like internet native or screen native medium. He's known for the series with the skeleton. That's just one of his main characters. The color scheme skews 
purple, light blue, pastel, green. It reminds me a little bit of the vaporwave aesthetic, which was actually also tied to specifically pop music that was slowed down to half, three quarters its original speed. Uh, a lot of it was 80s, 90s dance music, like Y2K. Not so much the anxiety or the paranoia element, but the, the dominant style and the resolution and the, the visual limitations and quirks of, of that time. So I think these are all coming together in a very familiar way. He is now undoubtedly the best-selling artist uh, on Hen. I, I dug into sort of that history and his first foray into crypto art wasn't actually on, on Tezos or Hen. He was an artist that was selling on you know Ethereum-based platforms, wearable. He was successful artist on, on Ethereum. And then sometime in early March, there was a criticism of NFTs as being not climate friendly. There was a narrative that going around and I noticed on his Twitter, on John Carroll's Twitter, that nearly every single post that he made, there would always be one or two people there in the comments reminding him about the anti-climate factor for the for, for minting NFTs on, on Ethereum as of right now is still proof of work right. blockchain. And it took him a week or so, and he basically made the decision to stop minting NFTs on Ethereum and move to Hen, Head at Nook, which at that point was a very, very niche, very small NFT platform on Tezos. His first mint was about the 2000 NFT that was minted on the platform. And right now that's sitting around 90,000. So he was very, very early onto the platform. Looking at the prices that he was selling for on Ethereum uh, versus what he was selling for on Hen at the time, I mean, he definitely took a monetary hit in the beginning. To, to do that move. I think a huge part of his popularity due to his art, of course, but also, you know, the fact that he brought some of his existing fans from Ethereum to Tezos and the fact that he kind of took that political stand on the clean NFT issue, I think had a lot to do with galvanizing his popularity. He, he just, you know, took off from that point on. Would you say that was primarily the reason for his popularity or do you think that it was very timely that he kind of jumped on the hen bandwagon at a time when twitter discourse was very conscious of the energy and environment related issues no i mean i wouldn't say that's the primary reason because he was a pretty successful artist i mean he wasn't like the most successful artist on ethereum but he was a pretty successful artist on ethereum he was selling his one for one works for around one or two eth his additions going for like 0.1. So it's pretty respectable prices, not like Beeple level prices, but pretty respectable prices. What, what made that move better in hindsight is that it wasn't jumping on a bandwagon because at that stage, Ken was not really a bandwagon. It was a bird car. He made the switch, I think, definitely contributed to Ken's sort of increasing popularity. The narrative of the clean NFT, even though it wasn't cited by him, definitely was enhanced by the fact that he made that switch and he took a risk. You know, it pays off because you're not really a bandwagon jumper. You're more sort of the vanguard of the right. movement. So I think that definitely helps him because, you know, art is very political. And, and I would say like that is a political statement that he made. And, you know, people love political statements, especially if it's at the expense of money. You certainly couldn't say that 
you know, he did mm. it to make more money. What are the parallels between this kind of behavior or the kind of shift uh, of Carol towards the idea of clean mm. NFTs? What a clean artwork <laughs> in the traditional art world would entail, we need to distinguish between commercial and non-commercial platforms. So obviously, even though, you know, OpenSea and so on are considered better or you know, more insidious maybe because of the environmental load compared to Hen. And, you know, that's not to discount the fact that, yes, there is a political statement being made by artists like Carol that are shifting over. They're both essentially marketplaces. So I think the parallel in the art world, uh, traditional art world, would be auction houses and galleries, for example. So I think there's some awareness of which galleries are the big and better ones <laughs> and which are the more, not to say non-commercial, but I think the ones that are more, you know, they support underdogs, they take on artists that make work that's less commercial, not very sellable, prices are lower, but that are critically acclaimed and that get into the big festivals and biennales and, and triennales and things like that. So I think within so within that commercial ecosystem, I think there's definitely some awareness on the artist on the part of artists when they choose which galleries and dealers to work with, or if they choose, you know, specifically auction houses to to consign their work to. I think there is some kind of, you know, pick and choose there. Allowing artists to make a political statement is when I think the best example would be when artists withdraw their work from exhibitions or events that they find politically objectionable. So, for example, if you have, you know, a scandal with the board or if there was some evidence that the chairman of that particular event or, or Biennale had made a racist or, you know, sexist, misogynist statement. John Carroll's made a lot of different stuff throughout his career. The Dancing Skeletons is one of his more well-known sort of older works. But on hand, he's uh, famous for his Windows Still Life series, which is basically all he's posted on, on hand up to this point. And it's become, I think, almost like a blueprint for success. You can see a lot of other artists emulate not so much the windows, but the collectibleness of his decision for what to mint, emulate the style, the similarities from one artwork to the other, emulate the descriptions. And something that I haven't yet seen, you know, with other big artists, but essentially uh, the whole platform of artists have paid tribute to him by minting their own Windows series. It was starred by an artist by the name of Shavam Ladir, who's a Latvian generative artist. When they decided to do a window tribute to, to John Carroll, and it just kind of took off and nearly every single artist on the platform has done their own John Carroll tribute artwork. And it, it really works because I've noticed that for a lot of these artists who are struggling to sell a lot of volume, that if they put out a good John Carroll window tribute, that usually becomes mm -hmm. their best-selling work because all John's fans now want to collect it and then pay for it. And, and, and John usually likes to support artists by retweeting it. And so it's become like this sort of initiation right for sort of artists on the coming onto hand to basically do a, a John Carroll tribute. The first thing that comes to mind actually is not necessarily uh, art related, it's more fashion. And uh, I'm speaking specifically of like knockoffs. Right. It's a bit early for Carol to be knocked off. <laughs>
granted, he has a certain fan base and demographic who, who enjoy his work. But we're talking about an artist that has a very niche market. And, you know, more than that, the fact that he is a popular artist with, you know, in a very circumscribed and limited context, which is that of the NFT space, right? Granted, before he was, as you mentioned, before he came on to Hen, he was already, you know, quite popular. But still, this is quite a, it's quite a minority phenomenon, I would say. So I think the fact that an artist of his stature within this limited space is being paid tribute by artists with this Windows phenomenon. I'm not sure that really speaks to the power of his brand rather than maybe the fact that because it, I, the nature of NFTs, it, it lends itself very well to memes and kind of imitations and, and quotational works that kind of riff off other things. It's, it's very referential. And if you look at, say, I mean, you look back at Beeple, a lot of the motifs and the characters were kind of insider jokes, particularly surrounding various aspects of internet or meme culture. So I guess this goes, yeah. So to answer your question, I think that, you know, we're seeing in fashion, you see brands being knocked off because they're so big and that, you know, people who want a piece of that action, but can't pay the full price for all these branded goods, they go for the knockoffs. And this is something a bit different because he's not really being knocked off. He's being referenced and paid tribute to. And there's, you know, I think a, a similar, but yet very different dynamic going on there. It, it, it's kind of a phenomenon called trash art, which the term itself came from crypto art. The artistic concept is quite a bit older in music, especially mm. with the rise of hip hop music, where, you know, the entire genre is based on resampling other forms of music to create some new music. And the trash art movement is, is basically about resampling, you know, existing art to, to make sort of new art. And, and I think this, you know, John Carroll at various times has been called a, a trash art exponent, but I think this sort of resampling or remixing of John's still life windows motif is, is kind of like a classic sort of trash art genre pieces. Sort of. I think that's definitely true in the sense that it's happening independently of his mainstream appeal or recognition. Because a lot of this hip-hop is a bit maybe different. No hip-hop artist is going to sample you. Like They want an additional credit or feat on their you know bylines. And that's how, in general, I think mainstream recorded music works. You mentioned trash art. I think it, it is based on the fact that anything can really be remixed or resampled and regardless of its mainstream endorsement right, or, or status. That's something that I think is, is particularly more specific to internet native forms of expression where there's no major and minor anymore. There's not really a sense that someone is mainstream or marginal or alternative. There's a flattening of value for this Windows phenomenon. The way, the momentum that's built um, around certain artists and movements and, and aesthetics has the potential to propagate itself in a very different way. It's quite distributed and it doesn't require the kind of official recognition from the establishment. These movements seem to have uh, a certain autonomy of, and, and if you have that momentum, then you can kind of operate independently. The Windows phenomenon does 
speak very eloquently to the potential and the kind of medium native aspects of NFT. There's so much more we can talk about, but we're out of time. So until next time, have a good one. Good one.